Welcome to BTEC B Talk, a podcast series from the Biomass Thermal Energy Council. I'm Joe Seymour, BTEC Program Coordinator for Policy and Governmental Affairs. In our monthly podcasts, BTEC interviews key decision makers and pioneers of the biomass energy industry. This project is made possible by a grant from the U.S. Forest Service's Wood Education and Resource Center. In our seventh broadcast, we discuss how private-public partnerships are helping reduce forest fires, increase forest health, and displace fossil heating fuels. A 2001 study by Peter Zule estimated that when using best management practices, removing downed woody debris from the forest floor could reduce the likelihood of forest fires and slow the spread of fire by approximately 75%. And as we will learn from our guest, utilizing forest products in this manner requires experience, communication, and economic insight to succeed. Rob, I first want to talk forest restoration. Located in east central Arizona, the uh, 10-year-long White Mountain Stewardship Project is working to restore over 150,000 acres of public forest, reducing forest fire risk, and improving wildlife habitats. I know that Forest Energy is one of the project's partners. How did your company become involved in the White Mountain Stewardship Project? Well, the White Mountain Stewardship contract really evolved out of a collaboration that was ongoing with the environmental community and industry and the Forest Service and the communities in Arizona since the late 90s. In the mid-90s, the forest industry basically shut down. It's almost all public lands, and the environmental community felt that the way public lands were being managed wasn't appropriate for endangered species and other things. So it was out of necessity that we started taking material directly out of the forest, originally off of the White Mountain Apache tribal land for projects where they were doing restoration. We took the material from them. And then that led into uh, the stewardship project when that uh, was started in 04. At that time, I think we were the first ones ever to make a pellet out of wood coming directly out of the forest. Everybody else, uh, including Europe, pellets were being made as a byproduct of a sawmill or, or some other process. So, so it's difficult, uh, but it, we, we had no choice. We felt long term that's where the wood was going to be available that we were going to be able to utilize. We started in about 97 and, and then the stewardship project came about in 04, late 04, and uh, we were in partnership in 97 through 04 with a, a logging company that had done the logging component of it mainly because we were the only two that, <laughs> that would bid on the contract. We invited many others nobody wanted to. Rob, why is it necessary to remove biomass from forests to improve forest health? Uh, what is healthy? And why has the U.S. Forest Service contracted out to private companies to conduct this? Yeah, The, re the reason you remove biomass, is, there's really multiple uh, reasons. It depends upon the type of forest that you have, the species that are there. In our particular case, it's a ponderosa pine forest. Ponderosa pine forests historically have somewhere in the 50 or 60 trees per acre, and that's what is is a, a functioning, healthy forest where they don't have very many trees. There's a lot of open areas. They're mostly big trees, a few small ones, and periodically they have a fire that goes through, and the fire doesn't climb into the tops of the trees, it just kind of burns the brush underneath and goes. The forests are now to where a lot of the acres that we're working on have 900 to 1,100 trees per acre. Many of those are very small, so we're having to remove anything that's over three feet 
fall. We leave the big trees, and then we we do it in its clumps and groups of trees and take out the rest of it to take it from that 1,000 trees per acre back down to the 50, 80 trees per acre. And get it where it's healthy again. Get it where the fire won't completely destroy the forest. Now, in lodgepole pine forests, it's, it's a little bit different. It's mostly, mostly uh, fire hazard mitigation to try to reduce the risk of big fires that destroy infrastructure from communities around them. So like I said, in the 90s, the forests were pretty much shut down by a lot of the environmental community, and right now they're our biggest advocate for what we do. And you know, the Forest Service, you know, they don't have the capability to do what needs to be done, and they don't have as far as actually to work in the woods, and they don't have the capability of, of utilizing it, so they need private companies that can try to make the most benefit out of whatever is removed so it costs the Forest Service as little as possible to do the work. Thanks, Rob. Now, you noted the change in environmental groups' attitudes towards forest restoration. In your opinion, what caused this shift? Well, that shift hasn't occurred across the country. It's occurred in, in pockets here and there. And then it gets to a point where I think a lot of industry recognizes, a lot of environmental community recognizes that industry uh, is necessary in order to do this work and to get it done as economically as possible. Um, but historically, they haven't trusted industry. Industry's gone in and wanted to be dictating exactly what's done, exactly what's removed, and that's based upon what they wanted. And uh, you know, we worked for with the environmental community in our area for about seven or eight years prior to the White Mountain Stewardship contract starting uh, to develop a level of trust, develop a level of people really believing that we're we're all doing this to try to benefit the forest. And yes, we want a, a commercial gain and an, an, an outcome, uh, not just an outcome of a, of a restored forest, but an outcome of a, of a product. But it has gotten to a point where there's been this level of trust rebuilt in, in many cases. Where, where one instance, there's some areas in uh, Washington that are, they've also regained a lot of trust. And people all of a sudden can collaborate and they can start working together to really address problems. How costly is it to engage in forest restoration activities? Was there a learning curve for producing fuel from the White Mountain Stewardship Project? I mean, have you incorporated any lessons learned that have made this type of project more efficient and cost-beneficial? Yeah, it's, you know, the actual uh, in-the-woods work in order to harvest and do this, you know, we've had as many... Uh, as uh, seven sides in the woods doing work, and each side costs somewhere around a million or a million and a quarter. And so it's relatively expensive to do this work. So if you want to do three or 4,000 acres a year, your equipment for in the woods will cost you a million, a million and a quarter. It's a little bit different than traditional logging equipment, but not, not that much, but still is, is expensive. And as far as our utilization of that product, it's, it's, it's been a definite learning curve as far as we don't just buy sawdust that comes from a sawmill. We buy a tree. And do we process that tree in the woods and make chips out of it, or do we bring it in as, as whole logs? Uh, we went through all of that back in the late 90s and, and learned you know, when it's best to keep it as a log and when it's best to bring it in as a chip and the, the debarking part of it to get the ash content down <clears throat> and then looking at all the different species that are potentially coming out and how do you 
how do you deal with those different species and making a good densified pellet product? Um, so it's been a trial and error. We've now probably pelletized uh, 20 different species of wood, and we've pelletized several different grasses and canes, miscanthus, switchgrass, uh, eagrass, because um, all of those things are, are things that are potential feedstocks for us, and it all is a learning curve on how to make a consistently high-quality product with whatever raw material you have. You know, one of the one of the things learned, and I think a lot of people are using it now, is that we we bring a lot of logs in because we can store logs for a year, a year and a half, something like that. Whereas chips, we can only store for about three months. And at the end of three months, they start uh, decomposing down in the pile. So, you know, you start looking at those things, and uh, and then the other thing with logs is over that period of time, they'll dry out. So you don't have to do as much mechanical drying. You get some natural drying. Of course, we are in the southwest, and we have a pretty dry climate. But. Rob, to uh, what extent do potential markets for forest residues, such as wood pellets, support your activities? As far as the, the products that we produce, we produce uh, you know, pellets, a quarter-inch pellets, and then we produce a, a three-inch log, 12 inches long, uh, for stoves and and uh, patios, that sort of thing. We produce horse bedding. We produce a fire starter. And those are our, our primary products. But uh, the wood residue that we bring out, there's small sawmills, utilize some of the small material, um, making lumber, making, making camps, producing uh, pallets, that type of thing. We make some mulches, uh, landscaping material, both bark and mulches that go to landscaping material. And... Uh, it really is, it kind of varies year to year and, and what the markets do, and the markets have been off the last uh, year or so. In a, in a good year, we can utilize almost anything that we can bring out of, it, out of the woods. There's a small biomass power plant near us that utilizes quite a bit of, of slash, whereas we use uh, the small diameter trees, you know, two, three, four, five-inch trees, and then six, seven, and then above that, it goes to sawmills usually. The bark goes to the mulch, or the, and then any of the leftovers go to the landscape. I know that we already touched on this, but what environmental concerns have you encountered during the stewardship project, and what solutions have you implemented to overcome them? Well, first off, we aren't silviculturists, so we don't determine what needs to be done in the forest. It's a matter of the Forest Service, through their NEPA process and through their work with the other people to determine what needs to be done. We just do it. Uh, we can we can advise them on what different things are going to cost or what different uses you might have out of different things, but we don't make any determination of what is removed and what isn't removed. And the biggest concern, still is a concern, is removing some of the bigger trees. Uh, some people would like to, uh, more big trees, and other people would like to remove a few more. And it's an ongoing uh, dialogue between silviculturists, wildlife, You've got to look at, at habitat for spotted owl. You've got to look at habitat for goshawk. Uh, you've got to look at uh, soils. Um, so that's, that's an ongoing thing. And uh, the thing that's been beneficial is we've been able to uh, have a, a good enough relationship with the Forest Service and the environmental community. If there's a dispute out in the forest about what's going on, we just call them. They come out, and everybody looks at it, and everybody kind of goes through it and says, well, this is the kind of thing that we want to do. And, and, and we move on from there. The actual prescription since the beginning of the contract has changed considerably. 
we do one thing for a while and they say, no, this isn't working and everybody agrees it's not as good, so we change. So there's been an evolution in exactly what we do on the land. It's not that different an outcome, but it's, it is different. And the only way you do that is for everybody to sit down and talk about it and agree what the best solution is. But the diameter cap issue is, is ongoing. It's not, it's not ended. Every time you get into another forest, another situation, then there's, that diameter cap is going to be a discussion point. Has the public been supportive of this public-private partnership, especially for biomass fuel production? Uh, what types of concerns, if any, have you heard from the public? For the most part, people in our region are, are pretty receptive and pretty uh, agreeable on, on what we're doing. Uh, initially, we thought you know, the drastic reduction in trees from 1,000 down to 60 or 80 would cause some problems, and, and, and it really has created virtually no problems. Most of the people look at it, they understand why it's happening, and they've been extremely supportive in what we're doing. And as far as actually making fuel out of it, there's a lot of people in the region that, that utilize wood in one form or another for, for heating, and so people are really pretty supportive of it. I guess if you really look at the majority of the people, they would like to see all of the wood used in some way. Nobody likes to see the wood just sit out in the forest and burn or sit out in the forest and not uh, be utilized. So bringing in producing product and creating jobs and heating homes and keeping dollars within the community because you're using a local resource to heat that community are all pretty popular. Rob, what heating fuels are you displacing? In our region, some is electricity, a lot of it's propane, some of it is natural gas, not a lot of fuel oil in our region. The commercial boilers that we've put in are primarily replacing propane. And residential, I mean, some people switch from a wood stove up to a pellet stove just because of convenience and cleanliness. You know, they think it's easier to bring in pellets than it is to split the stack wood and, and bring that in. So, but, but the majority of them are probably propane or, uh, or natural gas. Rob, it must be noted that the White Mountain Stewardship Project will continue for approximately five more years. But to operate your facility, you require uh, supply certainty beyond that time frame. Are there enough projects like this to support your business model? And what is the future of stewardship projects like White Mountain? Well, I, th I think, generally speaking, stewardship type of projects are going to be more prevalent than they have been. I think people have seen that because of the type of work that needs to be done, it's probably going to be done under that vehicle. And a stewardship contract is just a vehicle for getting work done. It allows where we can take some product and pay for it, and then we, we do some work for them that they pay us for. When it's to remove a two, three-inch tree, there's really not much market for that. So they pay us for that, and the bigger trees we pay them for. So I think that vehicle is very good for what's happening now generally across the country as far as doing restoration and doing fire mitigation work. So I would think in a, just in general the stewardship projects or that type of contracting mechanism will be used considerably more. The longer one where we had a 10-year, there's not a great number of those. There's another one in Colorado that's working well also. I think more will, there will be more effort to go into some longer-term contracts. Through collaboration over the last five years in Arizona, we've come to agreement with all parties, all stakeholders, in trying to do the same restoration type of work on all of the forests in northern Arizona, the four forests, which is about 2.4 million acres, and there's agreement that somewhere around a million acres of that needs to be restored. We're working on agreements now 
There's a contract that should be out within the next uh, couple of three months. It will be a 30,000 acre per year, 10-year contract. So we see this sort of thing ongoing. There are also some other smaller contracts that are coming out, both on the forest we're on and the four forests. And the forest we're on is a part of the forest initiative. Our wood's probably still going to be coming out of forest restoration work. There's discussion about some other sawmills. We, we also buy any sawmill residue that, that is around, we purchase, but there aren't very many sawmills. Now, that with this larger contract, there's discussion of larger sawmills coming in, so we may be back to where we're buying byproduct uh, from them as well as buying the really small diameter out of the forest. We see that there still is a lot of potential for, for a pretty solid raw material source. Our biggest thing has been what it's been since 92, and that's lack of market. One Rob, could you expand on the economic considerations for those interested in forest restoration work? One of the things about forest restoration, I think I said it earlier, is your raw material cost is higher than it is if you're buying a byproduct. You know, you just cost more to get the wood out of the forest, and ultimately the Forest Service is not going to have the budget to do this work. So if you can't pay to remove the wood from the forest, you're not going to have the wood. And that's more than if a sawmill, usually, than if a sawmill sells you sawdust. And I think that's an important component for people that are thinking about, oh, we can get all this wood that's available, whether it be beetle kill or whether it be ponderosa pine restoration work, and it's free. It's not free. It's very expensive to remove it, and the Forest Service isn't going to have the money to cover that bill. You're going to have to pay. I think you just noted a common misperception on the real cost of forest work. How does this become affordable if the wood is not, quote, free. How do you find the highest value for the forest products to make this partnership feasible? Right. Yeah, the, the more you can attract an industry that can pay more for the premium wood, then, then the more that will help to offset the cost of removing some of the, the, the lower value wood. And, uh, and that's it's a, a difficult thing because the reliability of wood from public lands has been extremely, well, let's, let's just say it hasn't been very reliable. And so Attracting bigger businesses is difficult, but somehow you've got to try to balance you know, bringing somebody in that can pay a little bit more for the, the logs, and, uh, and that helps to get rid of the slash, and we're kind of in the middle. Well, Rob, uh, that will have to be the final thought. Uh, thank you for sharing your experiences in forest restoration work and the biomass energy markets, in addition to helping BTEC complete its work grant activities. Really, I appreciate your time today. Further information on Forest Energy Corporation is available at forestenergy.com. More resources, including interviews and archived webinars on the biomass industry, are available on the BTEC website at biomassthermal.org. Thank you so much for listening.